Janet, did you pick that out or did you know what I was going to preach on? Yes and yes. I did a wedding this week and their gift to me was this new mug. And it says, I never dreamed I would be a super cool pastor, but here I am killing it. <laughs> so I decided I'll bring it here to remind myself how great I am. And you laugh, and that's good, because I was kidding. One of the more interesting adventures for me, maybe for some other men, is going shoe shopping with your wife or a woman. Men shop differently than women. Uh, And one of my favorite shops, I actually like to shop, one of my favorite stores is uh, DSW, which I think stands for um, Discounted Shoe Warehouse. And I buy one pair of dress shoes at a time, and they're always black, and I wear them every day when I was a chaplain, now it's basically every week, and then after about six months or a year, I buy one new pair of black dress shoes. So I said to my wife, I need to go to DSW to buy my one new pair of dress shoes. It's a very exciting day for me. And it takes me about five minutes, because I walk in and I know the men's part's over here, and I walk over and there's like tennis shoes, whatever, and then they get to the dress shoes, and it's just a matter of looking at them, getting to the black ones, there's three or four, pick out the one, maybe one has wingtips, and I'll get wingtips, and the next year I'll get one that's no wingtips, or one that's got brown soles, the next one I get straight black. I'm done in five minutes. So you would think I would have a supportive wife by my side helping me pick between the three or four black shoes, but then when I'm done, with my box in my hand, I look over and she has wandered over to the ladies' section. So now I know I'm in trouble, because see, I was ready to go. And so um, I'll say, what are you doing? I'm ready to go. And she says, well, I'm just looking for a pair of uh, black dress shoes. And I said, but you have a pair of black dress shoes. And she goes, yes, but I need a pair that's patent leather. I go, you know, like, what's that? She tells me, I go, oh, okay. I go, but don't you, and then she'll pick out a pair of something, and I'll say, but don't you have ones like that? No, but these have a bow, and I need a pair that has a bow. And so then the question comes to me, one of those deep philosophical questions, how many pair of black dress shoes does a woman need? I hear, I hear you, Lord. I hear you preaching. And the answer is, I don't know, and maybe it's lots, and maybe a woman's, maybe as many as the closet will hold. And then the other thing that she, she knows I'm sharing this. I asked her if I could share it. The other one is flip-flops. How many pair of flip-flops can a woman have? Lots. There you go. We lived in Florida 10 years. Essentially, flip-flops are footwear. You go to church, people are wearing flip-flops. It's okay. So I quickly discovered that um, footwear is a very important part of many people's lives. Now, to me, one pair of black dress shoes, if I had to do anything, it would be the workout shoes. I buy two pair of workout shoes. I wear them for three or four months, alternating every day, and then at the end of three or four months, I go to buy two new pair, and then I take those other two pair, and I put those in my Goodwill pile, which Suzanne could probably attest that I'm sure you notice my footwear. I always, two pair, three or four months, get a new pair. Footwear are very important to many people. Fancy, formal, 
footwear. Now, if you were to think about biblical footwear, you see how I turned that now. You see, that's why I'm good. If you would think about biblical footwear, especially for Sabbath, you would probably go to just the opposite extreme. And it would be barefoot. Bare feet before God showed reverence. So you don't have to do this today. I mean, I'm not making you do that. You know, you go to, you go to some churches and they'll, you might get worried because they're asking you to lift up your hands like I think my wife did today. Or some churches, they have drums up front. You get worried about that. There's lots of things you worry about in a church that they're, crying, they're getting crazy or they're taking you out to the extreme. I'm going to give you one of those today. But you don't have to do it if you don't want to. I'm going to invite you, if you would like, to take off your shoes and listen to the sermon about coming barefoot before the Lord. You don't have to do it. I'm not going to do it, because then I'd have to bend down and do some extra work. But if you would like, this would be a time to take off your shoes and come before the Lord barefoot or sock foot, because you're standing on holy ground. So during biblical times, it was common for people to be Barefoot. They wore sandals when they were needed, but when they were home, shoes were left at the door. You would take off your shoes, your sandals, you would have your feet washed, and then people would walk around the house barefoot. Many cultures still do that. I have tried to implement that in my house over the course of our marriage, and I discovered that I was fighting a losing battle between a wife and two boys. I was the only one who would willingly do that. Many people do that. How many of you do that? Take off your shoes in the house. See, we have 10 to 15 in this house, room. Some cultures even walk in and there's extra shoes like slippers. You take off your shoes and then there's like your slipper, your indoor shoes. Because if you know all the things that come in on the bottom of your shoes, it's quite disgusting. Can I get an amen over there? Yes. Having a little disgusting amen. Yes. And you know, God must like feet. God designed the body, right? He created them, and so I had to look this up because I'm not that smart. There are 26 bones in each one of your feet. That means you have 52 bones in both feet together. There's math today in church. There's 206 bones in the body. That means almost 25% of your bodily bones are in your two foots. There's 26 individual foot bones are held together with 33 joints and more than 100 ligaments just in your feet. The average person will use their feet to take between 8,000 and 10,000 steps each day. And in this world of Fitbits and health monitors and Garmin's and those things, you can know how many steps you're taking. You can have your your phone or your watch announce it and praise you when you get your steps. The Bible mentions feet 256 times, and it mentions the word foot 95 times. So feet are muy importante in the Bible. Jesus had his feet anointed twice that we know of, once with oil, and a second time by the tears of a woman who he had forgiven. Those stories are there for us to read. The Bible says one of the most beautiful verses in Romans chapter 10, how beautiful are the feet 
of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good tidings of good things. Before he was crucified, Jesus washed the disciples' feet in one of the more poignant stories in the Bible, John chapter 13. And Paul gave an ultimate promise of the demise of Satan when he said in Romans chapter 16 that God shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. So feet can be used metaphorically, for real, and show evidence of your walk with God. Now continuing in the series which we're calling High Fashion of the High Priest, we come to an interesting aspect of the priest's fashion. Or maybe it is actually a lack of fashion. Probably the best way to understand the priest's role was that of a mediator. Now a mediator stands between two parties and mediates, brings together. And so as the mediator, the priesthood, he stood in a unique position between God and God's people. He had a dual, D-U-A-L, dual role. He represented God to Israel, and he also represented Israel to God. And the authority that he had as the representative of Israel to God was expressed in what he wore. Everything that the priest had on was laid out by God in Exodus 28. I've read from that a couple of times. And so far, this is the third week in this series, so far the first week we talked about that before he did put on anything, he was anointed with oil to represent the anointing and the presence of God. And then I talked about on his turban, he had a gold bar which said holiness to the Lord, which wasn't describing him. It was his desire for the people that we come before God to achieve holiness. You are, you are ours, God. We want to be holy. We want to be in relationship with you. It was his desire to represent the people. This is where we want to go. We want to be with you. We want to be your holy people. And the garments also, which the high priest put on as mediator, he had to put on these garments before he could be the priest. He didn't just walk in off the street and go, oh, I'm on duty in 10 minutes. Oh, I'll just go like this. He had to do all of these things before he could go in before God. Putting on these garments is sort of a foreshadowing of Jesus coming in the flesh. Jesus put on flesh. Jesus became our high priest by putting on flesh. So the high, the high priest is a type, is the fancy theological expression. The high priest is a type of Christ. He represents what Christ was. Christ took the sins of the people before God. The high priest took the sins of the people before God, but the high priest is not God or Christ, but he was a representative of what Jesus came as, the true high priest. Can somebody say amen? And as they put on these garments, they were set apart by the oil, and God told Moses that the clothes were necessary to enable the priest to serve before God. The, the clothes were representative of the sanctification. 
the process became part of it. But strangely, in Exodus 28, where all of this is described in detail, nothing is said about footwear for the priest that he would wear when he went before God in the temple. Despite detailed regulations for everything else, it does not mention about what he should wear on his feet. And as I was talking to my lovely wife, Miss Vani, about this quirky thing, which I did not know and I had discovered, which it does not say what the priest should be wearing on his feet, she was looking up pictures on the internets of the priest. And some of the pictures, drawings, had the priest wearing shoes, and some of the pictures had the priest not wearing shoes, because it does not say. Which I found that to be very interesting. But there seems to be a possibility, and I'm going to tell you why I think that the priest was barefoot as he served in the tabernacle, because the tabernacle was like the holy ground that our main man Moses had found, had stood on when he found his relationship with God. So if you would turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 3, this is not in the high priest section, but it'll lead to what I'm going to say. If you could turn to Exodus chapter 3, and is it all right if I read my Bible in church? And then to echo my, my young friend Gabriel, say amen when you find it. I like that. I'm going to take that from you, brother. No, there we go, there we go. Exodus chapter 3, I'm reading an English Standard Version. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So in other words, this is the first time, as far as we know, that he has stumbled upon Horeb, which is also called Mount Sinai, which he'll later to go back to get the Ten Commandments. But it's here for the first time, as far as we know, that he's meeting God. So he meets God at Mount Sinai once, and then he comes back later with the people. Was that 40 years later? Or a few years later? Again, to get the Ten Commandments. Verse 2, let me look at that small print. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire, out of the midst of a bush, and he looked. And behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. You see, to see a burning bush in the desert might not have been that unusual. It's hot, it's dry, the sun's baking. But to see a bush that wasn't consumed, that was the part that caught his attention. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God said to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. So this was God calling Moses into ministry. 
God had been working on Moses for 80 years. So if you feel like he's taking his time with you, where's God when you need him, and why is he letting me do all this? Moses was 80 when he got his call. That's young. Anybody here? Yeah, there you go. I didn't want to say you by name. 80 is young. You know, that's one thing I've noticed as I get older. The older I get, the more young people are young. And the more old people, they're always older than me, though. The older I get, old moves out. Old's always out there, and young's always back there, and I am just right here. It's a beautiful arrangement. He had been working on Moses for 80 years, and after this barefooted moment, when God called him to get barefoot before him, Moses became a great leader and brought Israel out of slavery into the promised land border. He didn't get to go in. And Moses' ministry all began as he learned to stand barefoot before the Lord on holy ground. You see, Moses was in the wilderness tending sheep. He was at Horeb where he later received the Ten Commandments. He's minding his own business. He's taking care of sheep. But God sets a bush on fire, and the fire didn't consume the bush, and that's what he noticed. And so he came to the burning bush that was not being consumed, and when he approached, God said, Moses, and he said, here I am. And Moses thought that he was just coming out to see a fire, you see. But out of what he thought was just a curiosity, God called him to mission. And many times you might just be going about your business, and you notice that it was when Moses that said he turned aside. And then when God saw that he turned aside, it says, that's when God called him. So you can't always set up these divine appointments with God, can you? He calls you and you react to the call as the call comes, or you choose not to react to the call as the call comes. You see the fire, and you think maybe it's a fire, and you don't realize that it's a holy encounter. And when you realize it's a holy encounter, God says, you know what, this is a holy encounter. Take off your earthly shoes. Uncover your feet before me. Come before me as, I, as you are. Because when you approach me, you're now standing on holy ground. In other words, if you're going to approach me, I want you to come as you are in your bare feet. There's a level of intimacy with God that you cannot know unless you are willing to take off your shoes. It sounds strange. But biblically, it seems to be true. When Peter resisted allowing Jesus to wash his feet in John chapter 13, Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. Joshua chapter 5, the passage that was read today, is the only other passage I've seen where it says, take off your shoes before you come to God. There are passages like when Balaam, meets the angel. He doesn't take off his shoes. I mean, he's sitting on a donkey. So, But in this one, in Moses, and the, the one in Joshua that Gabriel read, both instances, Moses and Joshua, the shoes become the earthly barrier that's between the person and God. And so the common, the vulgar, the word vulgar actually means common, the profane shoes, the things of this world are removed because the shoes have to be removed before the holiness of God. And one reason God might tell them to remove their shoes is that the shoes represent the earth, the ways of the world, the common, the everyday, the unholy, the barriers that exist between that person and God, between the holy and the unholy. The shoes sort of 
represent that. And so removing the shoes is sort of taking off the division that exists between God and that person, signifying taking off something unholy to approach the holy. The Levites, whose function it was to carry the vessels into the tabernacle, were required were required to take off their shoes when performing their holy service. The priest likewise had to be barefoot as well. Now here's what it does say in Exodus chapter 30. And this is another part which makes me think that he, the priest, performed his duties barefoot. In Exodus 30 it says, You shall make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. That's Exodus chapter 30, verses 18 to 21. So he's telling them to wash, but it's not part of the, of the uh, high fashion listed in Exodus 28. That's my point. You would think it would say, and now go in with bare feet. You see, there's this level of intimacy that cannot be found unless you remove the worldly things that you carry and you come to God barefoot, naked as it were, with nothing between you and God. With your heart open to serve Him, with your heart open to worship Him and to praise Him. Unencumbered, barefoot, praise we throw off our shoes and we run like children before the Lord. You see, we have a very dignified service in most Christian churches and in the Adventist church we do, but there, there's this exuberance which exists if you look at the, the emotions connected with worship. And I wonder, why did God tell Moses and Joshua to take off their shoes? Why was it important in these encounters with God, that the man of God, or the woman of God, had to remove his or her shoes. I'm going to offer up three reasons. These are just my thoughts. One, three reasons why shoes would have had to been taken off. Shoes were considered unclean. In many of those cultures, as I mentioned, it, it is wrong or improper to wear shoes into someone's home. It's also improper, I've learned this through reading, if you go into somebody's home and you put your feet up on the table so they can see the bottom of your shoes, that's considered rude. I remember one time when President Bush was over somewhere in the Middle East and a reporter took off his shoe and threw it at him. Anybody remember that one? That was considered, a, a, other than just throwing something at the President of the United States, that was considered a rude insult because your shoes are considered dirty. They're considered unclean, everything about a shoe, other than the black leather, black leather patent, black patent leather pumps that you wear, sweetheart. Those are not unclean, those are beautifully clean. Because how beautiful are the feet of those who wear black patent leather pumps with little bows on them and shiny gold things on the back. We should have had a fashion show, the ladies marching their shoes across the stage today, just to demonstrate. 
You see, the shoes were outworn in the streets through the dirt. And as you entered the home, you would take off your shoes. You would have your feet washed, which is why John, uh, Jesus in John chapter 13 was washing feet. That's what a servant did. You would always wash the feet of somebody who came in the home. There must not have been any servant present. And he lowered himself to take on that role of a servant. He was performing a duty that was always done. You didn't walk into a home in your bare feet, in your shoed feet. You took off your shoes, and then you washed your feet, and now you were clean as you entered the home. The priests had to wash their hands and their feet before they entered the holy place. They could not serve in the tabernacle until they bared their feet and washed them in the golden laver. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he was preparing them. He was preparing them for a deeper walk, for an upper room experience, you might say. He was preparing them for service. So the washing of feet is to prepare someone. And so barefoot, barefoot praise is not ordinary, you see. When you come before the, the Lord, if your bare feet were to represent you coming before the Lord, barefoot praise, it's not, it's not ordinary. It's, it's, a, uh, it's praise that has entered into the secret place of the Almighty. Barefoot praise says, Lord, I want to go deeper. I want to get closer I don't want to dishonor you by anything in my life that's unclean or unfit into your house. Barefoot praise is being willing to kick off the shoes of the world at the door and to let the cleansing power of the Word wash your feet and prepare you to have more of God than you've ever known before. Thank you. One, shoes were considered unclean. Two, shoes protect you from feeling. This was another reason why I think God would tell them to come in bare feet. Barefoot praise would say, I will not allow a barrier to come between God and me. I will not allow my heart to not feel. I will weep with those that weep. I will rejoice with those that rejoice. I may laugh with Sarah over the news of the birth of Isaac, or I may weep with Jesus over Jerusalem, but I will not engage in some sort of detached, stoic relationship with God. I'm going to feel what I feel because I want to be real and authentic with God so that He can be real and authentic with me. You see, there is something about being in touch with your feelings through your feet. We use it even in the way we describe things. People take off their shoes and socks and go out and walk in the green grass of springtime. Why do they do that? So they can feel the grass through their foot. Or you go out to the beach. Do you see anybody out there on the beach in their black patent leather pumps? You'd sink. We take off our shoes and we walk in the sand and we squish the sand between our toes and we feel the ocean as it comes up upon us. Which is why I don't like going into lakes. Because when you go into a lake, the bottom's always squishy and weird. And I don't know what, I don't know what that is down there. I don't want to know what that is down there. I just don't want to go in there. I'm not a lake man. And so when God says to Moses, when God says to Joshua, when God says to the priests, 
Take off your shoes. You're in my house. Don't walk in and out with those unclean things. Don't walk in and out without feeling and experiencing my presence. For you and I, barefoot praise might say, I didn't come to church for some sort of intellectual stimulation. I came here hurting and I came to have God's healing touch laid on me. I came here with fear and I want to leave feeling God's calming whisper to me. I came here with joy and I want everyone to know and to share in that joy with me. I came here with stress and I want to have the Holy Spirit help reduce my stress. I don't want to come acting like I'm one thing when I'm really another. And taking off my shoes before God represents me coming as I am. So shoes were considered unclean. Shoes keep you from feeling on that most primal level. And third, shoes would make it easier to run away. If Moses had kept his shoes on, and God starts messing with him and start making him afraid, Moses could have very easily turned and ran because he's wearing his shoes. God desires his people to not run every time there is a problem. God desires his people to stay and work through those encounters that scare you, where the presence of God is overwhelming, where the cares of the world are building up on you, and you think, God, you are with me, and I know you got this, so I'm going to stand here. I'm not going to turn and run. I'm not going to run back to things that I've used before as a crutch. I'm going to stand here and let your grace be enough for me today. You see, God isn't looking for people who are going to walk away every time they don't get their way. God is looking for people who will stay and say like Moses when God says, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. I'm your man. I'm standing here. And that's why I believe that the high priest had the fashion sense to minister before God and his bare feet. And so it's it's kind of like this odd ending. If you were to look up top, he's got this beautiful turban with gold, and he's got all of these things, the, the robe and the ephod and the urim and the thummim and the girdle and all of these beautiful things, and then you get down and he's got bare feet. Because as he goes in before God, he goes in with nothing between him and God, that his feet will take him wherever God calls him, that he senses the presence of God and he he will do and say and be what God calls him to be. Now, I can't end today without this one final barefoot thought. I would be remiss if I didn't point us to the Lord Jesus. And I want to remind you that when the Lord Jesus was crucified, he had bare feet. He went to the cross, carried the cross the entire way, and he allowed these men to drive nails through his hands and through his feet 
We know that. Scripture tells us that. So they drove nails through all 52 bones, all 200 ligaments in his feet were hammered on a cross of death to carry sins that were not his own. He died for sins that unholy feet had done and places those feet had gone that he had never gone. He carried the sins and the weight of the world on his body and he let his feet become unclean before God to die on an unclean cross with unclean feet before a holy God. And to show his deep love for us when he was resurrected, And they said to Thomas, the Lord is alive. And he said, I won't believe it unless I see the nail prints in his hands. I wish he had also said, I won't believe it unless I see the nail prints in his hands and his feet. Because I can't believe, I was thinking of this, I cannot believe that Jesus has nail prints in his hands, but he does not have nail prints in his feet. Might be true, doesn't say. My theory is he's got to have nail prints in his feet. If he were carrying the the nail prints in his hands, I hope he he carries them in his feet to show that he paid for all of our sins and that he died the death that was ours. That his bare feet on that cross were pierced and bruised as he performed the work of salvation for us all. He became the living high priest. The true High priest, And he also became the embodiment of the holy ground, the walking presence of God, and he made the unity between the priest and the sacrifice total. He approached as the sacrifice, and he rose up as the high priest. The entire sanctuary system is represented by the life and the death of Christ. So, I want you to think about that. That it's his bare feet that carry our salvation. That it's his bare feet that walked from Pilate's palace through the streets of Jerusalem, what is now called the Via Della Rosa. That he carried that cross with his bare feet. And when he arrived there, they laid him down. And drove nails, not, not, not like little nails that you're hanging a picture up on the wall. What would probably be more of a spike to us. Through all of the nerves and bones in his hands. And then imagine taking those 52 bones. Laying those two feet over one another. And then driving spikes through them. And then lifting that cross up and putting it in the ground where you have placed a living human being nailed to a cross and you allow them to hang. And they oftentimes hung there for days, dying of sun or lack of blood or starvation or hydration. But when they came to Christ because they wanted to get them down off of the cross before Sabbath started, let's kill our people on Friday, but let's kill them before Sabbath so that we can all keep it holy the ultimate in irony and hypocrisy. When they came to him, he was already dead. And so they took him down and they unnailed him and they put him in a tomb. So may the bare feet 
of the priest remind you of the bare feet of Christ and the love that he has for you to take the unclean and make it clean by his own power of being a God who loves us, by being a Savior who would die for us. So in response to that, you might say, Lord, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Christian in my heart. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. Have a seat for a second. This is uh, the last Sabbath for Chuck and Debbie Hess. They've been gone, and then they ended up being back with us today. Debbie's playing the piano one final time. We're going to miss your playing and your leading, and just you as a person, and you too, Chuck. So God bless you, and as I pray, I want to make sure I pray for you as you travel. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that come from knowing you, for taking the risks to take off our shoes, to take off the cares of the world, the uncleanness of the world, and come before you just as we are to enter into that holy ground of relationship. I pray that whatever is keeping each one of us from that, we would lay it aside and trust you. Pray for Chuck and Debbie as they move and take up a new chapter in their ministries, that you'll bless their, their health, their jobs, their families, their grandchildren, their search for a home, all those other things that come with moving. Reduce their stress. May they sense your presence and your leading. For each person here, Lord, I pray grace and mercy. I pray courage. I pray strength in the dark times and joy in the good times and blessings. Bless my friends, my church family, Lord. We pray your love to just pour out on us. And may your grace always be number one. And may we always realize we can stand on holy ground throughout each moment of our day with you. Thank you for all these things in Christ's name. Everybody said together. Amen.